This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we have a return guest, South Euclid, Ohio, Municipal Court Judge Gail Williams-Byers. And our topic today is how to promote your well-being, no matter how tough things are at work. Judge Gail, whose side gig is teaching other judges, is finding ways to convince her colleagues that self-care is not selfish. She says that judges have one of the toughest jobs in the world. Not only do they have the pressure of remaining in charge of people in difficult situations, but the kinds of horrible events that they hear about day after day, can leave them suffering from what some call vicarious trauma. Judge Gale's message is that even people with the most challenging jobs can feel better and do better if they consciously manage their well-being. And she says that there are a lot of ways to do that. Our guest today is Gail Williams-Byers, a prominent municipal court judge in South Euclid, near Cleveland, Ohio. Judge Gail is also an old friend of mine, and we've known each other for many years, since she was my intern a long time ago in Washington, D.C. In the summer of 2017, at a national conference of the American Judges Association, Judge Gail and I led a workshop on the importance of work-life balance. And we talked about how you can achieve that. The fact is, though, that I'd lectured my intern, Gail, on that topic, and I still wasn't sure that she was convinced, but, but then Judge Gail became passionate at the conference. And since then, she started teaching other judges about why self-care matters. So, Judge Gail, you were the chair of that conference. What is it that caused you to decide to include topics like self-care and life balance in a national conference when other judges were talking about the law? Well, Bev, first I want to say thank you for allowing me to address this audience on this important topic. When, as the chair of the American Judges Association's Education Committee, we began thinking about topics that were important for judges we usually think about the hard or tangible skill sets we want to to impart with them or to hone. What I noticed, however, was that there were so many of my colleagues that were struggling emotionally, um, dealing with challenging cases day in and day out. It poured into their personal lives. It's the thing you talked about, but not too much, and you certainly didn't address at a national conference. And I thought that maybe we had reached the time the point when it was okay to bring in someone with a high-level skill set to talk to us about how best to manage some of the challenging experiences we have in our daily lives, professionally and personally. Well, I know that um, many judges and actually lawyers um, in a lot of situations are struggling more than the average person with issues related to everything from alcoholism to just intense stress from very difficult situations. But 
there's some people like you who have always just been a workaholic. And even before you were a judge, uh, we did have those conversations like, what do you have to do to keep your balance and keep healthy? It wasn't an overnight turnaround. It, it took a while. But I think around the time of that conference, I started seeing a real difference. And I've noticed you're, you're doing some things differently. What are the kind of things you've done to, to get some balance and some self-care into your own routines? You are so correct in that I've been so negligent of myself and even those I care about for so many years and had poured myself into my career and other things that it really took having experienced that for such a long period of time that those old talks we would have about work-life balance came to revisit me. And also some of those basic small things you can do on an incremental level to make a difference in your own life. For me, it began noticing after a while that in my community, domestic violence had become the number one violent crime in my community. Hearing stories regularly about the trauma and the experiences of victims, um, it after a while, it's impossible to not carry some of it with you. And I had to find a way to manage the stress of making tough decisions while remaining unbiased and very open to all the parties while also not fraying myself. At the same time, I noticed my relationships, um, particularly with my husband and my son, they were suffering. I hadn't given enough time and effort to them. And so for me, it began with just really small changes, small things like staying up a little bit longer to have a meaningful conversation with my spouse making sure I was paying attention and meeting my son eye to eye when we spoke and really caring about what happened. That developed into spending and finding ways to spend more meaningful time with my spouse. And I am elated with how we've managed to commit to a new rule in our marriage, which allows us to take some time together on a consistent but incremental basis. So what's that rule? We call it the 90-day rule. And the 90-day rule that my husband and I have adopted is that every 90 days, we take some kind of trip or vacation or we disconnect, just the two of us. It can be for a week. It can be for a few days. It can be for a day. But it is an absolute hard and fast rule that we've committed to. And over the past year and a half, it has worked amazingly. Now, I do have to say a lot of credit is due to you for having encouraged us and me in particular to do a little bit more than what I had been doing to care for myself and by extension, the relationships around me. And by actually implementing that, it has made a world of difference. So what kind of trips have you done? And how do you, how do two people who have sometimes different interests um, negotiate and agree on something that's fun for everybody. Well, that's the joy of being a lawyer <laughs> is that you learn the art of negotiation and and some things that may not immediately strike you as interesting. Um, if you can just allow yourself the opportunity to be to buy in, you ne just never know where the journey or the adventure is going to take you. And so the way we mapped it was every 90 days throughout a year totals approximately four trips or four experiences. And since it's the two of us, he'll pick two and I'll pick two. The rule is you can't say no to the other person. 
Oh, so you take turns, and that person has absolute control, the person whose turn it is. Indeed. It's a good idea. Indeed. And even though it may be something that I've never thought of. So one of the, the experiences we had was going to Maine from Ohio. And my husband wanted to drive to Maine, which is a lengthy drive, um, but it was his trip and it was his turn. And although I would have preferred to do something different because this was the rule and this is how what we've agreed to, we drove to Maine. It was the most scenic ride and beautiful ride ever. Instead of being in a plane for a short period of time, we actually bonded quite a bit during the time of that ride. We talked about everything under the sun, even things we thought didn't matter anymore and had a beautiful time. We whale watched for the first time in our marriage and canoed together. Oh, that really does sound like fun. No one drowned. Oh, good, good. Well, I think that sounds like a wonderful program, but the fact is there are lots of ways, some of them simpler and um, easier to build into your life. I absolutely agree. For starting to take care of yourself. I absolutely agree. And so when I think about what I do each day and what it is that I can do to help maintain some health in my own relationships in my own life, um, I readily and regularly rely on what I call the STOP method. And so when I'm sometimes in a hearing or even in, in the midst of a case and I feel an- anxious or overwhelmed or I feel like my focus is waning and I can't bring it back and, and pay attention to what's going on, particularly if the matter is overly complex and I'm thinking it's going to last longer than I anticipated and I've got a thousand other things on my to-do list, I now employ what's called a stop method where I pause wherever I am And no matter what's going on, I pause, I take a breath, a really deep breath, and I observe what is going on and then proceed. So the first method is to just pause or to stop, to take a breath, to observe all that's going on, listening sort of to the breaths that I'm taking, taking in my environment. It really helps to regulate breathing and to refocus And then I can proceed with whatever's going on, hearing or listening to individuals or understanding the statements or even the trauma of other individuals. And it allows me to get back in the game. So that fits within a a kind of a tool we used way back in that conference last year. We were trying to organize ways of pausing or being mindful or are are just kind of regaining uh, some feeling of being centered. And what we talked about, and, and, and it seemed to work pretty well with judges. Of course, judges and lawyers, they like to have everything organized. And we had dot points and a chart and so forth. But we broke well-being into um, being in good shape in four different realms of your being, of yourself. You want to tell us a little bit about what those four realms are and how um, each of them can be approached? There are four realms which are interconnected realms that support well-being, be it a judge, a doctor, um, an architect. Um, And these four realms, I think, are so amazingly important to be practiced both together and separately. There's the spiritual realm. And that spiritual realm focuses on 
your purpose and your meaning, your values and your system of values. Maybe you call it your morals, your connection to what you might see as a higher being or connections to things other than yourself, your the type of courage you display and, and the, the way in which you operate in this realm, which is also connected to the physical realm, which is the next one. The physical realm involves exactly what you were mentioning, just physical well-being, exercise, fitness, nutrition, obtaining enough rest and sleep, which I will admit so many of us neglect um, to our own detriment because we believe that rest is for the weak. It's actually a mark of the strong. Next is the emotional realm. And that realm deals with your relationships, how you are operating in those relationships, how you recognize or appreciate your feelings, what coping mechanisms you've developed to make sure that your relationships are healthy, how you express joy and compassion, fear, and how you manage stress, which is inescapable in this line of business. And finally, that leads to the mental realm, that mental realm that helps you to, as you mentioned earlier, deal with the thoughts, sort of, sort of reframing the thoughts and those feelings, talking to yourself, particularly during anxious or stressful times or moments, your perception of events as they are occurring, which has a direct impact on that mental realm and how healthy that is. Um, your brain health, your level of curiosity and how mindful you are or engaging in mindfulness techniques to keep you focused and engaged. Those four realms, the spiritual, physical, emotional and mental realms are all interconnected. But separately, they do have important roles on their own. Well, I love your idea of a stop or a pause. I think that really sums up uh, a, a terrific way for people to kind of enter the mindset of well-being. Now, let's talk about those four realms and think about how any of these four realms offers a way to experience the stop. And what I found in just working with clients and so forth is some people, they don't want to talk about their spiritual life or other kind of things that they'd rather do something dealing with their body. Other people like to talk about emotions. And what I notice is it doesn't really matter how you enter this area of well-being awareness. Do whatever's easiest and most Indeed. comfortable for you. So let's take your idea of the stop. Um, let's start with the kind of the spiritual value realm. How would you do a, a stop by entering your spiritual sense? So were it me, um, while in the spiritual realm, I would find some place, peaceful, preferably, where I could really focus on um, those things that are meaningful to me, my values and my purpose, understanding and maybe even reflecting a bit on some of the decisions I've made or how I will make a decision. And really just taking in a deep breath and appreciating or understanding all that goes into balancing, not just what's to come, but what has happened and the meaning of all of that. After I've done that, I would just relax in that feeling. Just 
staying there, not allowing other thoughts to sort of enter, but to really think about, okay, I'm going to make a decision that doesn't perhaps impact me, but impact someone else. And that's the idea of thinking or dealing with things that transcend you. You know, it causes greater than yourself. And then I proceed And that quiet assurance of knowing that I've sort of settled myself spiritually with whatever's to come. Because I also understand in that process that at any given time, I can be thrown a curveball. And curveballs are unsettling for most. But for those that are prepared um, and have found a way to sort of get themselves in this groove of of, um, appreciating their situation, I don't think that it's as disturbing. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. So for some people, entering the spiritual realm to manage well-being a bit, it could be a prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, For some people, a meditation technique in which you repeat a phrase or a a mantra or or, or something that just has meaning to you as a word like peace or forgiveness in a repetitive way. That could be a way to very quickly implement a stop and really slow things down and refresh yourself. But when you were talking about that, and uh, you mentioned breath, and that's combining, as you said, they're all interconnected. So as soon as you start focusing on your breath as a mechanism for focusing on your values at the same time, now you're entering the physical realm. So do you do breathing techniques, or do you have a meditation practice with breathing, or do you simply take short breaths or long breaths, or what is it that works for you? For me, um, I think first you said it succinctly, that something simply like praying, which is something I do, is it will immediately usher you into the spiritual realm. But as it relates to the physical realm, indeed, I take deep breaths. I pause and I take a deep breath um, in that physical realm, I mean, I need it when I'm exercising. So I'll say that as an aside, um, the physical realm does invite, um, it's a bit of a contact sport, if you will. And so it requires some activity on your part, but that activity need not be something strenuous. It can be something simply like meditating or paying attention to your breath and understanding you know, the rhythms of your heartbeat and blocking out some of the other thoughts that might want to creep in while you're paying attention to that rhythm. But I do, I um, absolutely try to find some place that's just quiet, maybe some nice quiet music, a consistent sound in the background can also help you relax and to train your focus on it, but it works wonders. 
Well, you mentioned exercise, which I was um, thrilled to hear you say because you have not traditionally been an athlete, as I recall. You but are correct. <laughs> I, I find the older we get, the more exercise and sleep and all the things that are part of taking care of our physical well-being, the more important they are for everything in our life. So you started walking, right? Tell me about what you're doing. Indeed. And so I'll tell you, initially the walking began as a challenge between my brother and I on the number of steps that could be obtained in a day. And me never shying away from a challenge, wholeheartedly took it on, and I still do. I'm never going to be outdone, even though he's taller than me and his strides are longer. I still keep up pace with at least the minimum. But one thing I'll tell you I found in walking that is so connected to this physical realm is that the exercise itself it works wonders for the body. But one thing that judges in particular, I think, struggle with is having appropriate outlets for our feelings. And when you don't necessarily have a friend or even a colleague, you feel that you can talk to about a trauma that you've experienced or that you are perhaps experiencing along with the others in your courtroom, that walking really does provide the atmosphere and the physical outlet to really release some of that trauma that may have been experienced in the courtroom. For example, some judges may not feel like it's um, appropriate or they are even able to talk to a colleague about a particularly gruesome trial that they just heard. And perhaps it's really troubling them. Walking, praying, breathing, and t- embracing nature as you are in this journey really does provide a visual stimulant and a relaxing atmosphere, but it also gives you the opportunity. It's almost like releasing with each step that you make. You release something else so that you can return to your responsibility, more clear thinking. So there's so many different ways to get at these um, feelings of well-being and learning how to get a balance, and they're not always available if you're um, sitting... uh, on your couch with a broken ankle, you can't walk, but you could do other things. But one thing that really is important, and I think uh, we are more aware as leaders, as managers, I think medicine is more aware, is, is the importance of those relationships and talking with other people. And that's one of the things that um, judges sometimes are denied because it's not appropriate for them to talk about what's going on. Leaders have personal information they can't share. And yet having healthy relationships seems to be critical to productivity at work. It seems to be critical to your physical health. If if you have friends at work, you're more likely to be productive. How do you get at the the relationship part um, as a judge or when you're talking with judges for people who have kind of limits on on how the relationships are structured um, in their day job? And I think you've hit on something so important when it comes to talking about relationships, particularly for judges, because I believe this is probably the loneliest occupation one will ever enter into um, because of the limitations you've just outlined. But most judges, if not all, have relationships that predated their ascension to the bench. 
So it is so awesomely important to nurture those relationships and they should have a disconnection to what you do daily. You can send a nice note to a friend to tell them you're thinking about them, having absolutely nothing to do with the work that you're doing, but it does do something for the relationship, but it also does something for you, the person, to know that you can think beyond the robe and you can be someone who is not so tethered to your work that you you, you forget all of those important relationships. You can cook a meal for someone or with someone. You can attend a child's play or their school event just to be supportive. These are small things that sometimes we find ourselves too busy to do because we're researching or we're writing opinions or sometimes a trial ran longer than we wanted to or the hearing. And we completely disregard the importance of showing up. Those relationships are so important because we more likely than not won't be judges forever. And the people who matter to us still want to know that they matter to us and that we matter to them. And so there are small things you can do. You can call someone and tell them a funny joke just because you're thinking of them. You can reach out and give someone a hug. You can, the art of note and letter writing is so lost yeah. now, but it's so meaningful. Imagine getting a note from a friend from high school who happens to be a judge, but more than anything is a human being that cares, that matters. And there's research that says there's something about the act of writing and the act of opening up a letter, an old-fashioned letter or card and reading it, the physicality that gets engaged, both the writer and the recipient feel joy that's kind of outweighs the energy it took to sit down and write the note. It's, it's uh, sort of being rediscovered. There's um, a, an, another part of, of this with relationships that you alluded to when you mentioned one of your resolutions is when you're with your son, you're going to look him in the eye. One of the things that I think you're great at and that we can all benefit from if we work at it ourselves is to be there when you're there. We are tempted sometimes because we're living in our heads and we're thinking about our to-do list and our calendar and what's happening next, that we're not engaged where we are. And a good practice if you're, you know, there are things you can't talk about if you're in a strange town, if you don't know anybody um, around you at the moment. If you go and buy a coffee, you make eye contact. Um, if you go into a store, everywhere you go, if if you treat people like actual people and look them in the eye, I, I think you're great at that. Is that a conscious thing or is that just how you are? I believe it's how I am now, but not how I always was. And so to your point, it is something that takes practice. Sometimes eye contact is um, very scary for some people. For some individuals, they would rather not. They would perhaps prefer to complete their transaction and move on, not engaging so much. But I agree with you when you say there is something profound about looking someone in the eye and as they are speaking without saying a word, they know that you are invested because of your very act of looking at them, understanding that no one else in the room matters 
other than them and what they're saying and what's happening to them in that moment. I will have to say that there were times as a parent, I wasn't so good at that because I had allowed the to-do list or what's happening next week, not even tomorrow, to enter my mind such that it diminished what my child was saying in the moment. And I don't know how many important things I missed because something that had not occurred yet was more important to think about than to really engage in that moment. I think it's made all the difference now. And although the world doesn't come go into a holding pattern because he's begun speaking, he is very aware that our conversations are important enough for me to pause, to listen, even if only for a brief moment for that conversation. And I can, I've got the rest of the day or the hour to think about what's happening next week. Right now, this is his time, and he appreciates that. So for somebody who is trying to get a little bit more juice out of their interactions with other people to kind of get a little bit more richness out of even casual relationships, one practice that I like is the practice of saying thank you and meaning it so that if it's something very simple, a little bit of service at a restaurant or whatever it is going on in your office, if you actually allow yourself maybe a second to experience that gratitude and then make eye contact and say thank you, and then if you want to go a little further, um, be a be specific and say thank you for that quick service or thank you for remembering my name. That genuine thank you, that makes you both feel great, right? Indeed. And if you can begin and end a conversation or an interaction with what you've now defined as a basic courtesy that so many, and, and I don't think that there's maliciousness on anyone's part for not doing it. I think sometimes there's more fear and anxiety, often because of the society that we're in. We just don't know how receptive someone's going to be to our comments. But I don't know that I've ever experienced anything negative from saying thank you or from for someone who will accept my call, even as a judge. And it's perhaps not the most timely um, opportunity to take a call. I will begin by saying thank you for accepting my call or thank you for the time to speak with you. I will be brief. And before we conclude, I'll thank them again, not to be, you know, overly friendly, but to acknowledge that their time is important. I appreciate the audience and that I realize they could have done other things with their time and that I'm really grateful that they've given some part of it to me. So everybody's well-being can be enhanced when people are interacting with a certain amount of civility. But but that brings us to the, the fourth realm. Sometimes we're pretty good about being kind to other people, but we are not so good to ourselves. So in the mind, the mental, the brain realm, sometimes we beat ourselves up. Sometimes we talk to ourselves the way we never would to a friend or even a stranger. And one of the ways we can practice civility is, is how we talk to ourselves. Are, I are you aware of how, do you find yourself sometimes saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that or... Um, do you ever have a negative kind of monologue in your head that you have to like pause and step away from? Oh, indeed. And I think that if we're all pretty candid with ourselves, that we from time to time have those experiences, even those of us who are the most self-assured have those experiences. 
I believe in reframing some of those conversations um, so that you don't dwell on the negative, but you can find a positive in everything. For example, um, you know, it's not uncommon to, to be driving in rush hour traffic and someone will be less than kind or what you perceive to be less than kind in the manner that they are driving along. Maybe the person's cut you off and you are somehow taking it personally that they were, you know, they saw you from behind, they beat you to the red light and hurried up and took off. And, and from then on, they've just had it out for you. And what, and I would do the same thing. What I've started to do is to reframe it and say, you know what, maybe they're having an emergency. It's not me personally. Perhaps they are really focused on getting someplace and they believe or feel time is of the essence. And so it's not that I have to figure out how do I catch them at the next light and make sure that they know how unhappy I am, but rather how can I take a step back and appreciate that maybe this person is having some kind of experience that I'm not having. And so my perception of it which otherwise could lead me or, or anyone for that matter to do something or respond in a way that's not appropriate. Instead, a step back to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt, which I think our society lacks quite a bit um, these days is giving each other the benefit of the doubt, which is how the negativity creeps in or how the anger or the self-doubting or you know, for me, sometimes I feel like, am I smart enough for this? Am I good enough? How am I? This is a complex issue. Am I ever going to be able to master this subject enough to write an opinion that is respected by my peers and my, my colleagues? And that can be pretty scary. But I'm reminded that I'm just as capable and I'm able and I can focus. I have a skill set that is matched by my colleagues and that I can produce in just as great a way as they could. So part of the pause that we started with that I love, which I think is a theme of your own self-care, part of the pause is sometimes taking an opportunity to very quickly reframe the annoyances and sometimes the big negative things in life and frame them in a more positive way and then move on from there. The, the great thing about some of these small things we're talking about um, for well-being um, is that these are not time-consuming things. You know, one of the things we did at that workshop that we got started with the judges that love so much is that we asked people to get into the spirit and su suggest some things that any person can do to kind of tweak their well-being in the course of a day and, um, you know, just kind of turn things around a, a little bit, pause and then take one little tiny step further. Can you maybe um, finish by giving our listeners some suggestions about some quick ways to promote well-being for yourself and maybe for others too, some really easy things? Some very easy things. And I'm so glad you asked because you don't have to invest a whole lot in order to make small changes. Something I like to do um, when I'm just looking to maybe get started is to think about three things I'm grateful for. And it's really helpful to write those things down, really um, consistent with what you said before. And if in fact you can think about those three things that you're grateful for and you can write three things down, that might lead you to that nice note if one of those things is about someone. 
and say, today I thought about things I was grateful for. You were one of them. I want you to know. And you finish the sentence. Imagine the joy that you bring to someone else and to yourself by allowing yourself that peace and that joy. So that's one something really small, but doable. Um, Another thing is just what we discussed earlier, which is the eye contact with someone else. Smiling with that eye contact goes a long way in not only engaging the other person, but inviting them in to that immediate space, perhaps not for an extended period of time, but just long enough for them to to know that they are appreciated in that moment. Journaling. Yes. I am a 20-year cancer survivor, and I did not discover journaling until about 10 years ago. Um, And when I began journaling, it started with all of the things about my history and my experience with cancer that was negative, only to bring me to the date where I had I realized I've actually got 10 years to reflect on, so I should probably be grateful for this. But journaling for short periods of time, three minutes at a time, or maybe even less to start, can really provide healthy perspective on not just where you've been, but where you are, and help you to begin writing goals and visualizing those goals and then working toward those goals. But just starting with short journal entries are Amazing. Well, Gail, I would like to close for today by saying that I am grateful to have you in my life. We've been having these conversations for 25 years, something like that. Indeed. Hard to believe. I am grateful that you are joining me here today and we're having the fun of this conversation. And I am grateful that you are taking better care of yourself, because I want to keep learning from you for at least another 50 years. (laughs) Well, so that's three things I'm grateful for, and they all come from you. So thank you for being here. And I am equally grateful in so many ways that you have and continue to be such a strong, wonderful mentor, someone who has always given of themselves selflessly. I am grateful for all the lessons you've taught me in life personally and professionally. And I am very grateful that you've reached out to a listening audience that gives us the opportunity to share our adoration for each other to help them. Okay, so we'd better quit now before we start to cry. (laughs) Today, we've been talking with Judge Gail Williams-Byers about how to promote your well-being, no matter how tough things get at work. Even a few deep breaths or a short walk can take some of the stress out of your day. Today's career tip is that there are many ways to approach the state of your health and your well-being. The starting point may be whatever seems easiest. Do some little thing to enhance your spiritual life, or the state of your body right now, or the way you talk back to that negative voice in your head. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. If you have comments or suggestions for great guests for our show, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me directly at 
Beverly E. Jones at Emmy.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y-E-J-O-N-E-S at Emmy.com. <laughs>